Welcome, dear listener, to Astonishing Tales of the Highly Improbable. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen, and this is the New Albion Orchestra. to what is hopefully a completely unnecessary second season of the New Albion Radio Hour, Astonishing Tales of the Highly Unlikely. Yes, indeed, I had hoped to be long out of here by now, but we must take stock of the realities of our situation. The monastery in the western mountains is a bit far and a bit difficult to reach. Um, That Jackie woman is an emotional wreck of a human being, and her voodoo punk cohorts are flaming imbeciles. So, it is hardly surprising that they're taking a bit long to get there and back, and get my rescue operation effectively mobilized. I must trust that they will indeed do so, otherwise... Otherwise... I went into the city the other day to meet that nice Cora girl and make some overtures to ingratiate myself with some dupe in the city government. No small feat seeing as how they wish to exterminate me for simply existing in this blasphemous shell of a body. I mean, really. It's not like I'm enjoying it. Getting around it? It's rather bothersome. What I need is a flesh suit. No, really. I've been thinking about it. I need a flesh suit. Well. Obviously, I'd have to take it from an actual person. Oh, come now. I'm hardly a monster. I'd never take it from a productive member of society. I'd murder a derelict and use their skin. Oh, calm down. It's not... It's not as bad as you're making it out to be. Well, it's not actually bad at all. No, you're not. You're not thinking it through logically. It's not immoral. It it is well within an acceptable moral framework if you just let me explain. Yeah, just listen. All right, then. Now, since the dawn of humanity, humankind has wondered if life after death exists. And while many have claimed to be sure this way or that, the truth is that 99% of them have no idea and are just guessing and being wishful. As sure as they claim to be, they actually have no idea and are just spurting fanciful nonsense out of their anuses as humankind is wont to do. I, on the other hand, am one of the few who actually knows for a solid, undeniable fact that humans do indeed have souls that live on after their death. So, I kill this poor derelict, he is Probably not going to Elysium, but if he does, success! I have just done him an incredible favor. Okay, but likely he is not. He is just going to reincarnate. Well, let's be honest, this poor derelict has had a terrible go of it this time around. Maybe through no fault of his own. Maybe the cards were stacked against him. Maybe he screwed it all up himself, but clearly he's blown it this time around. 
Sometimes the game just doesn't go your way, and the best thing to do is game over and respawn, where you'll likely have a better hand this time around. So, I need a flesh suit, you need a fresh start, win-win! It is absolutely within moral reason as both parties end up better off. And I'm not some crazed psychotic. And by the way, not all psychotics are crazed. My ex-boyfriend has had a psychotic break or two. I mean, ex. I don't really think of him as an ex. Well, he'll never be an ex to me. I have no choice but to accept that I've probably lost the love of my life. See, I'm capable of love. I'm not a psychopath, just somewhere on the LSRP scale. So, the point is, is that I am a nice person, and I wouldn't murder this derelict using inhumane methods. I'd be swift and painless. I wouldn't take any pleasure from it, and he'd be better off for it, as would I. I trust this clears up any further notions as to my lack of morality. I operate within a perfectly reasonable moral framework, give or take. It's best if we don't talk about whatever happened with that murder cult from long ago, although I have been known to get into it on the rare occasion that I drank past moderation. Anyway, do we have a sponsor today? Ah, yes, Percy Stainless Steel Steak Knives. They're apparently good for all kinds of meat. Hmm. Tell you what, I'm going to give them a try. See how they work on, uh, meat alternatives. And perhaps I can give them a ringing endorsement. So yes, Percy Steak Knives, because meat comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And now, episode one of Asha and the... And the, um, what are we calling this one? Asha and the, do you have any idea? I've got to call it something. They all have a and the. Asha and the caravan. That sounds perfectly fine. Why, why didn't you do this beforehand? But me? I, I have all this other stuff to take care of. I can't be, uh, all right. Asha and the caravan. Cheerioodles. That is, that's what the kids say, right? Cheerioodles. I read it in a thing. No, I'm sure they do. No, it's like the yeet thing. Yeet and cheerioodles. That's, uh, it's the hip lingo. You've, you've got to, you've got to get in there with the hip lingo so they think that you're on their level. They're morons. They, they, oh, you have to, you could be a clown in a clown suit covered in blood and as long as you said yeet or cheerioodles, they'd follow you anywhere into the sewers, into the back of your white van. Yes. Well, no, I'm not getting a white van. I'm not, I'm not going to murder a kid. Well, a young adult, young adult. I mean, maybe teenager, teenager, young adult. But I still wouldn't. I mean, uh, I mean, the flesh suit would be good. I mean, firm, tender, really the fresh, taut skin. I mean, that might be small. Well, if it was a tall teenager or, or young adult, it's... Well, a moral framework. Yes, I know it's it's a it's. I'd have to think about it. What What do you mean you're still rolling? You can't be. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, just kidding, folks. So uh, enjoy our little humor. Uh, without further ado, uh, episode one of Asha in the Caravan. Press stop. Press stop.
Asha was born into the tribeless tribe. Her family was the caravan clan of the region, responsible for carrying goods and information from town to town across the land's desert, jungle, and extra regions. Her tribe had a very special place in the cultural landscape that was the Sabaka. They were respected, revered to some extent, but never allowed to settle or become a member of any tribe, clan, or town that they visited. Asha was born crossing the arid desert, and her childhood was spent visiting a wide variety of landscapes and cultures. Even so, whenever her caravan came to the Great Crossing or to the caverns, Asha had to wait outside of it for a week with her grandfather until her family's caravan concluded its business and returned. This lasted until she was 13, at which point she was finally allowed to enter the caverns and the foreign lands. As a girl, Asha didn't have the opportunity to make other close friends her age, one of the drawbacks to being a part of a caravan family. She would collect stick dolls, all sorts of different kinds and styles from the many places she visited, and spent a lot of the vast time she was traveling in wagons pulled by camel-like creatures, making up intricate stories she would have her dolls act out. She would get story ideas from all the news her family collected and retold along their journey. Delivering news and current events across the lands were another major role her family fulfilled. The news could range from political developments to village gossip and everything in between. All of it fodder for the stories she would enact with her precious dolls. Literacy was not particularly high amongst most villages they passed, and was one of the gray areas where her family was concerned. The role her family played in the region was full of both specific roles and taboos, and in general, it seemed that them being literate was frowned upon. Indeed, writing simply didn't exist in most of the region, except the city of Neusteria, where even then, only the scribes and royal family possessed that skill. Most of her family was illiterate, except for a basic knowledge of rough cuneiform, which they used for keeping tallies. Asha's grandmother, however, had several volumes of thick, bound paper which she called books from places far, far beyond the region. Foreign lands undreamt of by even the royal family of Neusteria. Her grandmother had spent some years in these foreign lands and was full of incredible stories of fantastical places and bizarre people. She had learned how to read these scrawlings, and she had taught her son, Asha's father, as well as Asha. Asha was only ever allowed to read these books inside her locked cart and could never be spied reading by anyone outside the family, ever. The family was greatly respected, needed, treated with warm courtesy, but feared, too. This fear could turn on them at any time, Indeed, it had during her great-grandparents' time. The taboos had to be very carefully respected and navigated. There was a place along their route where no one went, except the family. The great caverns. They were taboo to anyone other than Asha's tribe, and while the things procured from within were greatly desired and valued, the caverns were superstitiously feared and only her family was allowed to go there. Inside, the caverns were otherworldly, and an entirely different species resided there. They were small gnome creatures, 
who spoke a strange, chattering language and lived in these massive caves where the laws of reality seemed to bend a bit, and colors and lights existed unknown in the normal world. Asha had heard from some of her older relatives about the existence of incredible windows located in certain small caves within these caverns, behind these things called mandalas, which led to spaces unimaginable, like a starry dream space which Asha would be visiting when she became of initiation age. Her family held a special place amongst the regional cultures for several reasons. There was only ever one caravan tribe. They were tasked with keeping economic trade going along wide distances, and this distance included the foreign lands as well as the caverns and the strange semi-magical objects the gnomes were willing to trade. They were the only humans who would ever step foot in that strange alternate world. They were never allowed to become part of any other community or clan in the region. And, of course, there was the initiation. At 20 years old, each member of the family underwent a very demanding initiation ritual. It was difficult, traumatic, and involved entering one of the dimensional windows in a special room in the caverns set up generations ago just for Asha's family. As tough as the initiation was, and not everyone survived it, it ended with the initiate achieving a state the family called awakenness. Across the region, Asha's family were also referred to as the Awakened Ones during religious ceremonies. This state allowed the family to see in ways undreamt of by their settled peers. The region had known an era of peace and prosperity for generations, in part because Asha's caravan would often roll into a village or town with some information or item vital to solving a particular problem. Some of these items were very non-local, and the term non-local is used very, very loosely. When her family arrived bearing strange items or advice, they could not be ignored. It was taboo. The family, in turn, could never stay in any location longer than a week at most. This was also taboo. In fact, the list of taboos surrounding Gosh's family was long and detailed but it kept the peace and kept all in the region placated. And it worked. Nowhere else in the world had known such stability and ongoing prosperity in all of that world's recorded history. Thus it was that when Asha turned 20, she too underwent the initiation. It was as grueling as her older relatives had warned, and she had found herself mentally and psychologically broken. By the end, though, she had managed to crawl back into the window, back into the cavern room. She crawled out of the room and collapsed on the floor of the larger corridor, where she lay passed out for a day or two, before her family returned to collect her, congratulate her, and celebrate another successful initiation. However, there was something different to Asha's initiation. The gnomes spoke a language undecipherable to human ears. No one knew it or has tried to learn it. All communication between Asha's family and the creatures was done via sign language they had come up with and expanded upon throughout the years. Asha couldn't quite remember what all had happened in her time on the other side of the window. She had vague images of 
tubes and tarot characters interacting in some looping castle and some strange woman dancing with her. Whatever had happened, unexplainable though it was, more unexplainable was that she was able to understand the little gnomes to some degree. Asha lay on the rocky floor of the cavern, presumably passed out for a long time, but for some of it she was awake. She just didn't feel like moving yet. So she lay there and listened, and heard things. Not heard. She more understood intentions behind their little chattering. They had talked of her, how her family would be by to pick her up, and how they needed to increase the supply of a certain mineral her family had been bringing them in ever-increasing supply. They talked of what they should be giving in exchange for this mineral, and agreed it was all child's toys and unimportant. The humans it was traded to could never use it against them in any way. It wouldn't matter soon. This little strand would be meaningless next to what they would soon control after the conquering was successful. They spoke of a coming war, but not against people. It was against someone else, some other creature, some species that presumably looked over a fallen empire, a fallen empire that nevertheless had vast knowledge and resources. Resources that would enable the gnomes to... It couldn't be deciphered. It was also hard to decipher who this other species was. It almost seemed like they were talking about rats, and at other times seemed like they were talking about small bears. But whoever they were, one thing was clear. The gnomes were coming for them. Well, even though I see no reason to continue these musical segments involving these idiot musicians playing this absolute atrocity that passes for modern music, nevertheless, we're going to do it anyway. So here's some imbecile from the orchestra who's going to play some idiotic song. So enjoy it if you can. familiar faces worn out places worn out faces bright and early for their daily races going nowhere going nowhere their tears are filling up their glasses no expression no expression hide my head i want to drown my sorrows no tomorrow no tomorrow and i find it kind of funny i find it kind of sad the dreams in which i'm dying are the best i ever had i find it hard to tell you i find it hard to take when people run in circles, it's a very, very 
mad world mad world children waiting for the day they feel good happy birthday happy birthday made to feel the way that every child should sit and listen sit and listen went to school and i was very nervous no one knew me no one knew me hello teacher tell me what's my lesson see right through me see right through me and i find it kind of funny i find it kind of sad the dreams in which i'm dying are the best i ever had i find it hard to tell you i find it hard to take when people run in circles it's a very very mad world mad world welcome to There's no turning back Even while we sleep We will find you acting on your best behavior Turn your back on Mother Nature Everybody wants to rule the world It's my own desire It's my own remorse Help me to decide Help me make the most of freedom And of pleasure Nothing ever lasts forever Everybody wants to rule the world.